Good morning. Morning. Welcome. Especially we have some visitors today for baptism and something else we will have at the end of this session. We'll keep it a secret until then if you didn't know. Okay. My name is Dell. I'd like to welcome you here. Let's pray. Dear Lord, how we thank you for this day. How we thank you that we can gather in your name, in your presence, that we can worship you, the one who is truly worthy of all our adoration, all our worship, all our love. Thank you we have this opportunity. We're so free to do this. Thank you for this uh, country that we can worship you freely. Lord, this morning we thank you for your, your word, the Bible. Lord, speak to us again. We treasure how you would speak to us through your holy words. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been going through characters in the Old Testament. We call them a great cloud of witnesses from the book of Hebrews. And uh, today we come to another character who I really like. His name is Joseph. And I like this character not because everything is nice, not because everything goes well, But it really shows, this character really shows to us a God who knows what he's doing even when we don't know what we are doing. God knows what he's doing. Even when for us it may seem unclear, it may seem messy, it may seem unfair, and many other words. So we're going to probably spend, uh, as you see, it says, Joseph and his brothers, part one. That means there's part two. So we will not finish Joseph today. We're going to just do one chapter in Genesis, and that's Genesis chapter 37. And even we're not going to read all of it this morning. We're just going to read parts of it, and I will give the rest of the narrative. Uh, It's a very easy read. You should read it on your own. Um. It will be helpful for your further, also the following weeks when we continue on this matter of this person. Let's begin by reading some verses. Chapter 37, starting verse 2. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. So Joseph is one of 12 sons of Jacob. He is number 11. So he's kind of, you're right, down the scale. However, Joseph, the last two sons of Jacob, Joseph and Benjamin, were the sons of his wife, Rachel. And we saw some weeks ago, Rachel was the wife that Jacob loved the most. But she also happened to be the one who died the first. She died in childbirth when she was giving birth to her second son, Benjamin. Okay, so... uh, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flocks with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. These are two other wives that Jacob had. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Hmm. Verse 3, now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. 
But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Let me stop there for a moment. Joseph was Jacob, or Israel's, favorite son. That should become a big warning flag right off the word, this word favorite. This is a good warning to us as parents. You know, what's interesting is if you are familiar at all with the record in Genesis, favoritism seems to be a hereditary trait. Jacob's father, Isaac, and his mother, Rebekah, had their favorites. And it was not the same one. They had twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau was Isaac's favorite. Jacob was Rebekah's favorite. And we know what kind of result that produced. Problems. Problems problems, even to the point of kinds of maneuvering, intention to kill, and so forth. And it seems Jacob did not learn the lesson, but repeated his parents' bad characteristic. You want to have trouble in your family, have favorites. I'll guarantee you, you will have trouble. If you have more than one child and one is a favorite, you will have trouble. You know, I have an aunt and uncle who had four children. Their first son, at least for a while, was their favorite. He got sent to a private school, St. Andrew's College. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, right? It's an elite Boys' private school. All the other children got sent to public school nearby home. Ouch. And I remember at a certain point in time, the second-born son decided, I'm moving to Calgary. Why do you think he decided to move to Calgary? Well, eventually, after many years, he got married, had children. Eventually, he moved back. But, you know, I remember, you know, we would talk about this in my family. And my dad was so concerned about treating each of us children equally. This was his thing through all his life. Equal. Equal. So if, I, if this child needs some money, they all get the same amount. Yeah, he was very, so as children, we never, in our family, never had the feeling that anyone was a favorite because our parents did their best to treat us equally. But what do we see here? The Bible says very bluntly, what? Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. What did he do? He made him a special robe. He made him a special garment. Unique. Multicolored. 
We'll come back to this a little bit later. Preferential treatment. Sibling rivalry results. You know, this can go beyond the family. You know, we have this term, at least in English, teacher's pet. What is this? This is the teacher's favorite student. This could even be in the workplace. Could even be in the church. We have to be careful. I think we have a little video, or not a video, a little picture of mom's favorite child. Could you flash that up to us? Be careful. First of all, as parents, don't have a favorite. Second, as a child, don't think you're favorite. Okay. Let's go on to the verses. Back again to Genesis chapter 37, starting verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Was that a smart thing to say? He, his brothers, said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? And especially wearing that robe. (laughs) So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Let's go on. Verse 9. Then he dreamed another dream. Oh, no. He dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind. In other words, what's the future going to be? Dreams, at least in the Old Testament record, and especially in Genesis, dreams seem to be one of the major ways God speaks to his people. Let me ask you, how else is going to God speak? There's no Bible. There's no written record. There's nothing. So how can God speak to man except mainly Not only, but mainly through dreams. Today, we may have dreams, but we also have the written word. Right? But Joseph had this dream. Two dreams. And basically, two dreams have the same point. That is, his family will bow down to him. Especially his brothers will bow down to him. And two dreams signifies that it's even more sure. Because it's the same point. Now you may ask the question, and I've asked this question, should Joseph have told his brothers this dream or should he just have kept it to himself? And I thought about this for a while and I thought, yes, he should have kept it himself. 
But if he did, we wouldn't know about it. <laughs> and down the road, maybe next week, we'll see why actually, even though it was not to his present advantage to speak forth his dream, the future shows that probably it was the right thing to do, even though in the interim, it brought trouble to him. So Joseph has these two dreams. Then, let's go on. What follows then is Joseph is sent by his father After this, Joseph is sent by his father to check up on his brothers. It seems that Joseph is a a good reporter to unveil the real situation of his brothers to his father. And uh, the fact that he's already given one bad report uh, kind of implies something about Joseph. I mean, it's kind of two sides. You know, one side, we don't like when somebody speaks in negative. But on the other hand, it shows that Joseph's standard of righteousness, morality, maybe even you want to use the word ethics, was high. And his feeling was, his brothers are not measuring up to where they ought to be. You are the sons of Israel. You should conduct yourself a certain way. Anyway, Joseph gives a certain kind of report. Well, after that, then Jacob, his father, sends Joseph to check up on his brothers who are shepherding flocks far away. So Joseph goes. He eventually, in a roundabout way, finds them. As his brothers see him coming, and he must have been wearing his robe, because how would you recognize someone from afar? His brothers say, here comes the dreamer. And they plot. They talk among themselves because by this time, they hate him. Some of them hate him because he's given an evil report. Some hate him because of his dreams. And some hate him because of everything. He's the favorite. He's a dreamer. He's got that robe. So they say, let's kill him. Doesn't that show you exactly where the brothers are at? Not very good. Not very good. Sometimes difficult situations are a real window to show us where we're at, especially in our heart. Anyway, the oldest brother, Reuben, says, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. And Reuben, in his mind, said, when nobody else is looking, I'll pull him out and send him home. That was Reuben's intention. So that's his heart. That's his intention. Reuben, okay, so Joseph gets thrown into the pit. They take off his coat, throw him in the pit or well or something. Reuben goes for a little afternoon walk, probably trying to figure out one of these guys is going to leave, and then I can send him home. So while Reuben is gone for a walk, along comes a caravan of people who are, have all kinds of goods, and the other brothers say, hey, killing him, that's not so good. Let's make some money. 
Let's sell them. Slavery was common at that time, so let's sell them. So they pulled him out of the pit, sold him for 20 shekels, and off he goes to Egypt. Joseph. Meanwhile, Reuben comes back from his walk, looks in the pit, there's nobody there, and he freaks out. What do you do? Now what are we going to tell our father? No, yeah, we didn't think about that. So what they do? They take his robe. They kill a goat, dip the robe in the blood of the goat, and then take it back to the father. Do you, Dad, do you recognize this coat? Jacob's response is, he's been killed by a wild animal. This is Jacob's response. I will go to my grave mourning. We know from future on, Jacob was in this frame of mind for at least 20 years, thinking his son was dead. But all the time, his son was alive, but he never knew it. Now, you think about the, his brothers, all the brothers of Joseph. Did they anticipate that their father would take this so hard? Probably not. What's kind of a, a little bit sad, first of all, let's come back to Reuben. If you're familiar, we didn't cover this, but Reuben, he had his own moral issues. And uh, maybe his thought was he can try and restore some of his father's respect by getting Joseph and sending him home. We don't know for sure, but it's possible. The other side concerning all the other ten brothers What's kind of shocking is the callousness that is in their heart. First of all, to think about killing. And then secondly, to deceive their father. But it seems, in this family, not only is favoritism an issue, deception is also an issue. And it's repeated again. Jacob deceived his father, and now Jacob's sons deceive him into thinking his son is dead. Ah. You know, there's something really interesting about the Bible. It's got all the gory details. If you would write the Bible, would you put that in? Probably not. But God has put all these things in here to show us he is a God of, he really opens things up. Jacob was deceived by his sons, and he lives under that cloud for 20-some years. Okay, how does this apply to us? First of all, we don't live in Genesis, time. What about dreams? 
What about dreams? Well, you know, on the day of Pentecost, Peter gave a talk, and he did, re- he did quote from the book of Joel about young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams. There is such a thing as, obviously, there is such a thing as this matter of having dreams. But I would say there's a big however, and the however is this. The dreams should be substantiated and supported by the Bible. I remember some of the books I've been reading on marriage and all this kind. One marriage counselor said, yeah, this this man came to me. Uh, He's a Christian marriage counselor, and the man is a Christian. He says, God told me to divorce my wife. Well, we have to tell you, God did not tell you to divorce your wife. I don't care how many dreams you had about it, because it's not substantiated by the Bible. It's against the Bible. Therefore, God never told you that. You told yourself that. Right? So dreams must be, have some substantiation in the word. Now you all know, and I know, not every dream is God speaking to you. Am I right? Right? Some dreams you just, you know, here's here's a little secret I learned about dreams. If you don't want to remember the dream, don't talk about it. (laughs) Yes, I dreamed that. Forget about it. Don't repeat it. Don't talk about it. The sooner you don't say anything about it, the sooner it'll go away and you'll forget about it. A lot of our dreams are unfortunately a result of our fallen mind. So don't think all dreams are good. However, This dream that Joseph had, what is significant about this dream? This dream shows Joseph something is going to happen in the future. We don't know when. We don't know how. It's actually quite a vague dream, right? It's very vague. When it's going to happen and what's going to happen between now and then. Aha, that's a big question. And Joseph had no idea what was going to happen between the time he had that dream and the fulfillment of that dream, which took another 20 plus years to happen. So, what about our destiny? What is our future? Let's ask that question first. What is our future? The New Testament does give us some, not dreams, but some words About what is our future? We, Ephesians tells us, we have an inheritance. Right? There is an inheritance for us. We have been chosen to be what? To be holy and to be blameless. Colossians tells us there is a hope laid up for us in the heavens. 2 Timothy talks about a crown of righteousness which the Lord will give in that day. And the book of Revelation talks about us being what? Or becoming the bride, the wife of the Lamb. This is our future. 
what we will become. But between now and then, we don't know that much. What's going to happen? Frequently, the way things are happening in our life at present don't look at all like the dream, the future. It seems they don't match. We go through troubles. We go through trials. But the process doesn't seem to match the result. Uh, let's throw up the verse that, the, that we have at the end, Romans chapter 8. We'll come back to this. We know. I know we're familiar with this verse, but I'd like to really point out this morning. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is another promise concerning our destiny. And you know what? This is our dream to be conformed to the image of his son. And you say, how? And what will that look like? Yeah, it's kind of vague. In order, so we're to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Then verse 31, what shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who and what can be against us? The process that we go through, even these verses talk about different things in the process, right? Were we predestined, were called, justified, glorified, also conformed to the image of his Son. So what does this require from us? This requires faith. To live according to our destiny and not to be overly anxious about our present situation. In spite of our difficulties. Yes, we will go through difficulties. We will. Because there's a process to get us to a certain place. We'll see eventually, Joseph, he's in slavery. Eventually, not only is he in slavery, he's in prison. Before he sees the result of his dream. Difficulties show us where we're at. You know, that verse says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. You know, sometimes, let's face it, sometimes if we're not in a good relationship with the Lord and we go through difficult times, it seems like it's just a difficult time and that's it, nothing more. Therefore, we need to cultivate our relationship with the Lord in those trials, in those difficulties, so that those difficulties can work for our good. You know, we didn't read these chapters. Earlier on, Joseph has two brothers, older brothers, who are really, ooh, Simeon and Levi. 
You know, they had a sister, Dinah, and Dinah got raped by somebody. And they convinced the men of that city to go through a procedure. And when they went through the procedure, they thought, now's our chance. And they slaughtered all the men in the city. Two men, Simeon and Levi. Cruel. Difficulty exposed them. But we have a different destiny. Since we, we should realize what is our destiny. And I would say this, you know, what can really help us through all the trials and all the difficulties is to remember God has a purpose. God has a goal to conform us to the image of His Son. That is His goal. That is His purpose. That's what He's going to do. And the process we go through is for that. If we can remember that, we will live differently. When we know our destiny... We live differently. When we are aimless, it's kind of like we don't know what we're doing. You consider this. You know, the British royal family. Most of us know Will and Kate, right? Will, William, Prince William is second in line to be on the throne of England, right? And his... Little guy George is, what, third? And now there's another one on the way. So that makes Harry... Where is he now? We've lost track. I mean, he's down the line, right? So even I saw a little video clip. Someone said, so Harry, your brother's going to have another child. That makes you further on down the line. He says, yeah, isn't that great? I can live the way I want. He didn't say that. I'm just saying, I'm adding on, you know, the little... In other words, what he's saying is, I'm free to live however like I can have party time, I can I can goof off, I can But you realize William knows his destiny. He can't live the same. The present monarch, Queen Elizabeth, she also had a sister. Right? Yes. Margaret. Princess Margaret Hospital. Yeah, that's after. Her. But Princess Margaret, she really goofed off. She was an alcoholic. She was a chain smoker. She was wild. And she died in her 70s, I believe. She died even before her mother died. Only about seven or eight weeks. But anyway, the fact is, her health was an absolute disaster at the end. Why? Because she lived a life absolutely wild, loose. Why? She doesn't have a destiny. Then you go back one more generation to King Edward VIII. He abdicated. He left the throne to his younger brother, George. Why? Because he didn't, he cared more. He didn't care about being the king. He wanted to marry a divorced woman. And at that time, that was taboo. When you know your destiny, you live differently. Brothers and sisters, know your destiny. 
so that when you pass through all the difficulties in life, all the trials, then you will realize that in all the trials, this is God's sovereignty to bring you to your destiny. God's sovereignty is to arrange all the environments. And I don't know what you need, and you don't know what I need, and I don't know what I need, and you don't know what you need. Does that make sense? Yes. God knows. God knows what we need to pass through to bring us to our destiny as those who will inherit a kingdom. Even Revelation talks about that we will become priests and we will reign with Christ a thousand years. To reign, you have to pass through a process. You have to live a certain way. To reach our destiny, God brings us through all kinds of situations, frequently difficult, hard. But if we have a desire, Lord, in spite of all my difficulties that I will pass through, Lord, I want my love to you to be to remain. And as I love you, then all the things that pass through, even if I don't understand it at the time, Lord, I know you're doing something. I'm in your hand. I'm trusting you. I know what you're doing. I know you know what you're doing. I may still not know what you're doing, but I know, Lord, you know what you're doing. No matter how difficult it is, no matter how painful, no matter how many tears are shed, God knows what he's doing. And he will bring us to be conformed to the image of his son. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this picture of Joseph. A man who was shown a destiny. Lord, grant us the grace to keep loving you through all the circumstances, the trials, the difficulties, the life situations that we pass through, that we could really still know you have a destiny for each one of us and you will bring us there. Grant us this trust. Grant us the caring for you and the love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.